Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. This is Terry, and we are broadcasting along our trek in northern Minnesota this week. We uh, last The whole last week, we were in the Lake Winnebagosh area, and uh, we're going to recap the fishing. We had some great fishing. We had some tough fishing, too, but it was one of the best warm water fishing areas, especially walleye in the country. Greg Claggio, a renowned Hall of Fame-nominated angler, will join us later in the show, and we'll kind of recap what we did there. Today, we're on the shores of Lake Superior. I'm looking out the window at a seagull sitting on a rock. As I look out, Gitchigumi, as the Indians call it, the Great Inland Sea. And uh, it's beautiful up here. Uh, Quite a change. We had warm weather where we were in central northern Minnesota. And here, the lake water is pretty cold, so it keeps the air cool. But last year here, Karen caught some incredible salmon and lake trout. Well, maybe we can repeat that this year. We'll give you a report on next year. We are staying at Larson's Lakeview Cabins just outside of Grand Marais. And to tell you the kind of history we have here, um, when the cabins we stay down on Lake Winnie are, um, are managed by my cousin's granddaughter. And here at uh, Larson's Lakeview, which we've done tremendous fishing out here. It's beautiful. We're going to be, we'll tell you more about Larson's as we go. Karen was actually the flower girl in the current owner's wedding. So we have connections to these places. Karen and I both being from Minnesota. We'll tell you more about that later, but let's go to the phones and joining us as he does every week at 10 o'clock, Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you? You know what? Life could be a lot worse for me, my friend. We're having a great trip. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah, I see some pictures on Facebook. That's exciting to be back in the back in the motherland, chasing all kinds of species. Yeah, and it doesn't. It wouldn't do. It would do absolutely no good for me to complain because I would get zero thymp- sympathy, right? You know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We do. But we do have a lot of local stuff from Colorado to cover today, too. We've got hunting, fishing. We're going to talk about gun dogs later on. And I know it seems like it's too early, but, boy, hunting season really is in full swing, isn't it? I'll tell you, Terry, it is. As, as officially, you know, everybody has little steps in their life and little steps in their daily schedules as seasons change. And I can tell you, for me, you know, I've been doing a lot of scouting. I've been in the field watching elk, deer, bears, pronghorn, all the stuff. Uh, also, it's one of the busiest fishing seasons we've had, so I've been full-blown into that. But little things all of a sudden make your mind kind of think. And I'll tell you, as we approach here, you know, we are essentially a, a week away or so from opening pronghorn with archery equipment. We are into the, the basically the archery season for a lot of the sheep hunters that opened up on the first um, and everything is coming up. So I have a bear tag starting in the second Mandy's got a muzzle at her elk tag. So it's all in full swing. And I'll tell you those little steps, I just put kind of a, a higher calorie food source in my pack, which officially means it's hunting season. So when I start putting uh, more food into my my backpack, that means I am transferring from scouting into hunting season. So it's little things, but I'll tell you, it's in full swing. And I sat down last night looking at the schedule, and it's almost 
stressful because I'm, I'm trying to fish full time. I'm trying to hunt full time and you just have to manage of what you want to do. But right now uh, we're starting to get into some vital times uh, as a hunter here. Now, obviously we talk scouting every show. We start talking scouting in June and Despite our efforts to encourage people to scout, at the end of the day, life's crazy schedule, our work schedule, I don't think anybody gets out scouting as much as they want to. Now, if you didn't start scouting in June, July, like we've been preaching, now is almost getting to the time where you have to scout. And there's some important things coming up right now as we speak. So, number one, pronghorn with archery equipment starts on the 15th. You need to get out there because it's a different year than some. A lot of the mountain areas have had by far more rain than we've seen in a long time. So the water holes that you might have have a plan of hunting or have had animals on it in the past might not, or they might not regularly be hitting that because there's so much water in the area. So uh, a lot of the regions of the state have been getting a ton of moisture, um, and those water holes have changed. So scouting pronghorn to know, you know, yes, they have a water hole plan, or I don't. Do I need to scout more water holes, or do I need to think about decoying? Think about a spot and stock approach. So major decisions through scouting on the pronghorn front. This week is also the week that we're starting to see our elk lose their velvet. I have already seen hardhorn bulls, uh, and the bulls that are still in velvet will lose that velvet this coming week. So we are at a major point. I even heard elk bugling. Now, by no means is there a rut. By no means does it mean anything. But regardless, to hear a bugle in the wild, uh, it means it's time. So as we see these bulls start to lose their velvet, we're going to start to see their behavior slightly changed. We're going to see the bulls that are more dominant, not less dominant. Uh, we're going to start to see them watching cows. Uh, you're going to see a, a drastic increase as that testosterone sets in um, of them utilizing water holes to where a bull might only be hitting a water hole once a day, once every other day. They're going to get a lot more frequent, a lot more patterned on those water holes. So that's something that we're scouting uh, very traditionally. And then lastly, we talk about this every year, but we have a lot of hunters that hunt, you know, mule deer with both archery equipment and muzzleload equipment. Um, and with that being said, you, these deer have been in a very solid pattern literally since, you know, mid-June. Um, you know, easy to find, easy to follow. They repeat their patterns. The second our deer lose their velvet, um, those patterns drastically change. We are roughly one month from that happening. We always say our deer lose their velvet as early as September 8th, 9th, uh, as late as maybe the 13th, 14th um, of September. So we are getting to that point to where we're about a month off from those patterns changing. While these deer are in the pattern that they currently are, get out there, find the buck that you want to hunt, build the patterns, watch where they bed down, where they drink, what they do on daily you know, patterns, because you can replicate that in the first week or so of the archery season and maybe the first couple days of your muzzleloader season. So a lot of opportunity in the deer front, but having a pattern is very key because you want to create that success before the velvet comes off. Because I promise you, velvet comes off, pattern change, and it gets tougher. So keep all those things in mind. Get out, scout, build some plans, because officially it is here. Hunting season is, uh, is just a, a, a step away. You know, I want to make a comment, too, that sometimes I, I feel like we almost get preachy about scouting, 
And we're doing that because we want the hunters to be successful. Now, if it's just impossible for you to get out and not scout the way you should, as long as you're confident that you can do your hunt safely in terrain that you know well enough that you won't get in trouble and you understand your firearms well enough and all your equipment, we still want you to go out and hunt. We just want to encourage you to set your expectations because what you do over the the months leading into this and from now till you go are going to be so critical to your chance for success. But that doesn't mean you can't enjoy an outing. Just have your expectations right, Nate. That's very well said because I do. You're very much. I I think the the hardest part for me, Terry, is – you know, you're the same as me. We we talk to the public so much. We're at the, you know, retailers and sports shows, and all I hear about are hunters complaining about the success rate and complaining about running into other hunters. And I hear so much anger and complaint about the hunting experience that people have had. Um, and it doesn't have to be that way. But, again, if you have had those frustrations, scouting is the best way to overcome those frustrations and have the hunt that you want, have the hunt that you've dreamed of um, without spending a bunch of money. So I think that's probably the truth, Terry, is, is, yeah, don't take it as this preaching. It's more we want you to be successful. More so we want you to have an enjoyable time. We don't want you to end the hunting season with regret um, of any kind. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Let's switch gears while we got a couple minutes left here, Nate. I mean, people need to get out there. And by the way, we should – talk a little bit about e-scouting too if you can't get out there's so much you can do online but and along with that what's what are you seeing on the fishing scene absolutely Terry. we are definitely in our summer patterns now um we finally just in the last week saw a little change at chatfield um which is probably a good thing terry i don't know how much abuse those fish can have chatfield is literally been one for the record books the fishing has been so incredible for so long um just within the last week or so from the last literally last radio show to this one um we're seeing the deeper water structure start to slow down you're still catching fish on it but it's starting to slow down it's like your main road bed those road beds are 12 to 15 foot of water and we're starting to see those fish pull off of those the young shad that we do have again we have less shad than normal but the young shad of the year have now made it out to the lake uh the the young shad and the small bait fish are up in shallow water so your walleyes are now moving up into that shallow water so we're seeing uh, a good portion of our walleyes sitting now on shallower structure and or suspended. So when I go out there, I can still use live bait rigs. I can still use jigging wraps and blades. Nothing's changed technique-wise. I'm just doing it in shallower water. So I am not fishing any deeper than 10 feet now. My focus point is 6 to 8 feet of water. So you're taking your same stuff that you've been doing, and you're just transferring it to shallow water. So at Chatfield... The name of the game is shallow. And honestly, if I was going to Cherry Creek, Pueblo, I would do the same thing. With those young bait fish out there, you're either forced to fish suspended, like trolling crankbaits, casting crankbaits, um, or using jigs and rigs, but in shallow water. So put your main focus less than 10 feet of water, um, and you can continue on with your bite and have a great time. But the anglers that are sticking to the deeper water um, are definitely seeing uh, a slight slowdown in the catch rate that they're having during the day. What about the mountains? What are you seeing up in uh, any 11-mile, those kind of areas? Absolutely. Water levels are staying strong, so we're excited about that. We are 
definitely in the full-blown pike. Um, we are seeing lots and lots of big, giant pike. Uh, yesterday I had a great day on pike. Day before I had a, had a tremendous day on pike. Um, I would say on average I'm landing six large fish a day. When I say large fish, you know, give or take of that 40-inch mark. Um, so a lot of big fish. Uh, so the pike bite is on traditional stuff jerk bait, spinner bait, some top water action in those kind of lower light periods of the day. Uh, so pike is good. Trout is good. We now have our damsels pretty much in full hatch. So damsels are those small dragonflies. Uh, they swim subsurface, you know, until they find a weed, they climb up the weed or climb up on structure, dry their wings and launch. Um, so those damsels are up in shallow water and it's pulling some of those big trout in shallow water. So as a fly angler, you can fish streamers now up in shallow water is also bringing a good bite back to the conventional tackle anglers you can fish really high action spoons high in the water column and take advantage of those big trout that are feeding on those damsels so uh good bite all around pike in south park's going strong trout in south park's going strong and i would say that the damsel hatch in the last two weeks has really helped out that that mountain bite we're still doing better when we have windy conditions and chop on the water but regardless the shallow water bite is on all right, my friend, we are running out of time. Uh, you got any events coming up we need to know yep. about? We have catch rate next Wednesday, and we're excited about it. With the low water at Chatfield, we're seeing our, our size of our fish, both trout, walleye, bass, and carp, increase. So we're excited about that. So this next Wednesday night, it goes a little later. So the event goes 4 to 9 p.m., so you get an extra hour out there. Uh, we feed you dinner. Uh, we're really excited about it. So we'd love to invite everybody out, whether you've been fishing catch rate or haven't been fishing it. Come on out to Chatfield next Wednesday. The event starts at 4 p.m. You can check in between 3 and 4. If you're going to be late because the event goes till 9, you can actually check in at 5, 6 o'clock. We're there to check you in anytime. So you don't necessarily have to be there at 4 if your work doesn't allow you to. But come check it out. Come fish catch rate. See what we're doing down there. Uh, it's going to be a fun night down there at Chatfield. All right, my friend, you get out there and do some scouting for me because I'm in northern Minnesota looking <laughs> over Lake Superior, all right? We'll do it for you. All right, Nate Zielinski, always great. We are broadcasting to you folks from the north shore of Lake Superior, just outside Grand Marais. We're staying at Larson's Lakeview Cabins, wonderful place right here on the lake. We're going to tell you more about that later. We're also going to probably give you an outdoor report on this next on next week's show. But we're going to take a quick time out, and we come back. We're going to talk about another very unique fishing opportunity in Colorado that a lot of people don't take advantage of. All that and more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. We are broadcasting live from the shores of Lake Superior. I tell you what, if you ever want to experience the north shore of Lake Superior, book a cabin at Larson's Lakeview Cabins. The view from where a spectacular out our window and what an incredible area of the country. But we've got some pretty incredible areas in Colorado, too, that uh, provide some unique opportunities. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Dave Carr. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing, uh, if I say I'm not doing good, people are going to laugh at me. I'm, I'm on a trip through northern Minnesota, so I guess I'm doing great, actually, Dave. But, but yep, uh, I'm a little but jealous. Got- good water up there. Well, there is. But, you know, we got a lot of opportunities in Colorado, and I know one of your favorites is one that probably doesn't get used nearly as much or as much attention as some of the others, and that's to put the cutthroat trout in high mountain lakes that just 
virtually have no other access. Tell people how you get those fish up there. Yeah, it's really one of my favorite programs that Parks and Wildlife does. I, I just think it's a really cool program. I like to come on and highlight it a little bit. And that's that's the aerial cutthroat stocking that we do um, in a lot of the really high mountain lakes that are inaccessible by, by you know, most other means. Um, so, yeah, it's a program that um, it's really collaborative with Parks and Wildlife. We have some really great pilots and some great hatchery technicians, and we find a way to load um, cutthroat trout onto airplanes and have them airdropped into the really high mountain lakes all around the state. Um, really, really interesting stuff and a really great way to get a large number of fish and a whole lot of bodies of water really quickly. Now, one of the things that you've told me in the past is the key to the success of these drops is the size of the fish related to how they're dropping. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It's it's an interesting thing. We kind of have to hit a sweet spot with them. We like to put them in, um, you know, they're they're right about an inch, maybe just a little more than that. So they're pretty small when we do the stocking. Um, any Any larger, and they tend to um, kind of hit the water too hard because they're they're too big and any smaller than that and they kind of dry out too much on on the on the drop from the airplane so there is a really specific size that we try to target and um, it works really well for us now you you kind of rotate through the state you have a kind of like in quarters or something how do you decide who gets stocked and then you rotate through is that right yeah, we do a, a different area of the state every other year. We kind of switch back and forth between east and west slope. Um, and that's that's really a logistical issue with our hatcheries. Um, obviously, Parks and Wildlife likes to put um, native cutthroats that are uh, native to, you know, specific drainages in, in the right places now. So we, we want to put... Um, cutthroats that were native to the west slope on the west slope and vice versa for the east slope. So we switch back and forth um, and different hatcheries raise different strains of cutthroats. So geographically, it makes sense for us to only do certain areas of the state every other year. Now, there's certain lakes up there that aren't obviously wouldn't support this. So you have to do a little bit of study of the water. Uh, is there a place online that people can go and find out what lakes have been stocked with this program so unfortunately colorado parks and wildlife only puts online the um the catchable trout the rainbow trout that we plant around the state uh if we if we started putting um all the plants we do for sub catchable fish it would be it would be an enormous undertaking we we obviously you know stock i think close to 100 million subcatchable fish every year so we don't have a, a really strong database that people could easily look up um, what they could do is if they wanted to visit um, a local um, a local hatchery they could probably find a hatchery text um, somewhere to uh, to speak to about that and see if they could uh, give them a hand um, maybe looking something up now uh, I assume that most of these lakes are are not real fertile lakes, so the fish you stock are they do they end up surviving mostly on insect life? Is that or are there some minnows and things in these lakes? Yeah, yeah I think it would depend on the lake. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure both of us have done a fair amount of hiking in the mountains, and you know, some of them are surprisingly productive up there. But you're right, there's some of them that are that are really. Um, really unproductive so yeah i would guess that insect life is a big part of their diet 
Um, and, and one of the things about the, the survival of these fish, and another thing that I think is pretty cool about this program is because these lakes are so inaccessible, it's a lot more difficult for our aquatic bios to do field surveys of these waters. Um, that's not to say they don't get to them every once in a while, but it's obviously more challenging when you can't just drive up to it with all the sampling gear and, and get the work done. But we do know that it's working because um, most of these lakes don't support natural reproduction. And obviously, you know, people can go and they can catch these fish up there. So they're surviving. They're doing well. A lot of these lakes grow some pretty nice cutthroats. Well, and it is. It's, it's, it provides an opportunity not only to fish in some terrain that maybe you wouldn't go to normally, but you get away from the crowds. And you're right. There's a diversity of size of these fish from, you know, little bitty cutthroats up to some very nice fish. And there's different means of catching them as far as, you know, there's ways to catch them with conventional tackle, but they're probably a fly fisherman's paradise because of the setting and the aura of fly fishing that kind of just lends itself to this type. As We've got a minute or two left. Are most of these lakes pretty high hikes, or even though they're inaccessible, are some of them a fairly shorter hike? I think it's probably a combination. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it isn't necessarily that you have to hike a long way to get to them. Um, I think in my experience, the further you hike, the, the more remote, the less chance you have of running into other anglers and maybe the more, um, the more willing the fish will be to bite, you know, they might be a little less pressured, but I'm sure there's, there's plenty of locations that are, that are only a couple, couple mile hike to get to that we still have to airdrop um, just because there's no access roads to them. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a variety of locations. And I think the final note we want to leave this on is um, this is done to provide an opportunity, not just to maintain species, but this is a legitimate angling opportunity that you want people to take advantage of. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I love taking advantage of it for sure. It's It's, you know, unfortunately kind of a short window. Um, you know, these lakes, they thaw late and they freeze early, but, but man, it's, it's pretty up there and the fish are beautiful and it's, it's a great time. Um, we definitely want people to, to take advantage of this. Absolutely. All right, Dave, we're out of time, but it's just another great fishing opportunity. The listeners can take advantage of it. And if they like to hike, they like to fish, there's no reason not to be combining those two. And really thank you for providing the, this resource and thank you for coming on and sharing it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. You bet. Dave Carr from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Um, there's so many angling opportunities. You know, I'm traveling Minnesota right now, but we have warm water species. We have high mountain trout. We have just about, we have lake trout in our big reservoirs. You have a diversity. Now it's fun to travel to other places like I'm doing now, but you need to get out too and just take advantage of all the resources in the state. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to tell you about an event going on at a park, probably not too far from where you live, where you can take the kids and just have an incredible time. All that and more coming up on Cherry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on ESPN. You're listening to Cherry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. And normally we'd be broadcasting on 104.3 The Fan. That's our main home. But because of Broncos training camp, we're on ESPN. We're an hour later instead of 9 to 11. We're 10 to noon today. 
Uh, we'll be back on the fan next week, but then I think we have an ESPN stint after that, then a few on the fan. During football season, we jump around, but we love our sister station, ESPN, and it's our, it's our home away from home. Let's go to the phones, and joining us from Mueller State Park is Linda Grote. Good morning, Linda. Morning, Terry. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on. Why don't you, first of all, is the, I, I'm sitting on the shores of Lake Superior. How's the, how's the weather at Mueller State Park right now? It is a beautiful day. Blue skies, 61 degrees up here, so nice and cool up here in the mountains. And, now, and tell people where, why don't you tell people in case they're new where Mueller Park is located, and let's describe it a little bit. Okay, Mueller State Park is located on the west side of Pikes Peak. So we're considered in the foothills. Uh, We sit at about 9,700 feet elevation, so nice cool mountain weather. Um, Surprisingly, it's only about 45-minute drive from Colorado Springs. It's easy to get to. You take Highway 24 west out of the springs and uh, get to the town of Divide and turn south, and it's just another three miles on the road to Cripple Creek. And it's in such a beautiful area. I mean, I think probably the number one thing at Mueller is your trail system, don't you? Yes, I think so. A lot of people come here for that. We have more than 44 miles of trails for hiking, biking, or horseback riding. And the scenery is just awesome. Oh, it's incredible. I saw a posting from Parks and Wildlife online just the other day of a herd of elk right in your park. Yep, I posted that. Yep, we have lots of elk. Lots of wildlife, bear, lion, deer, and birds, and all the smaller animals. So it's great habitat, lots of wildlife, um, and beautiful views. You know, from our visitor center, we can see the Continental Divide. So it's it's a tremendous place to visit. And you also, and you have an event coming up we want to talk about, but you have things going on almost on a daily basis there. But you also have um, great camping available. Yes, we have 138 campsites. A lot of them are electric sites. We have some walk-in tent sites. We have um, unusual two equestrian sites where you can camp with your horses. And we have four backcountry sites that you hike into. That's pretty unusual, equestrian sites. Do you get quite a demand for those? We do, yeah, and people love it. We have the great, great trails for riding horses. And it's great that, you know, we built these campsites right next to the delivery, the barn facilities. So you can look at your horse while you're camping. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it just sounds like a fantastic thing to do. I've, uh, I've gone up in Rocky Mountain National Park on horseback. I've never gone up in Mueller on horseback. That sounds like an incredible activity. I mean, it's just what a way to enjoy the park. Now, you have an event coming up, though, because Mueller has a great tradition and history and you've got a, an event coming up called western heritage day which is a couple weeks from now i think on the 20th tell us about that that's right it's on august 20th it's a saturday and it'll go from 10 till 2 that day and it's a way for us to celebrate the ranching history of the park i don't know if you know this but 100 plus years ago this place was still in homestead lands And then the Mueller family started to buy up all these smaller homestead properties, and he accumulated 12,000 acres, and he ran it as a ranch. So he raised cattle and award-winning quarter horses on this land. And uh, when they were done ranching, they sold the land to the state because he wanted to preserve it for both the wildlife and for people. 
So that's how Mueller State Park was born, as well as Dome Rock State Wildlife Area. Well, that's a tremendous history. What are some of the events you'll be doing on the Heritage Day to celebrate that? We have all kinds of things going on, hands-on activities, kids' things. Um, We're doing lots of pioneer crafts. Uh, We'll have old-time toys and games for kids and adults. Uh, We'll have some live animals. Um, One of the highlights is riding a hayride to the historic Cheeseman Ranch. That's lots of fun. Um, We have free pony rides for kids, or they could try gold panning. We're going to do some cooking over the campfire, so we'll have some warm cornbread and freshly churned butter straight from the the campfire. Um, Then we have lots of people uh, putting on demonstrations, so we'll have some needle arts like uh, spinning yarn and weaving and quilting. Uh, We'll also have a woodworker who will be making wooden toys and other things by hand. Um, We have a farrier coming with horses, so he's going to be trimming and putting on horseshoes on these horses, so you can watch that process and and watch how that works. It's an interesting thing to see. Um, But special kids games like a stick horse rodeo. So they ride stick horses and pretend they're in a rodeo. Lots of fun. And sack races. Um, We have a petting zoo of farm animals. And some other historic demonstrations like about the historic railroad and the fur trade, that sort of thing. So all kinds of things. It just sounds like. This sounds like a great way to spend a day. Now, this is on the, the 20th of August from 10 to 2. Is there any charge other than the Parks Pass to get in? No charge at all other than your Park Pass. Even the pony rides are free, although they do appreciate uh, tips. <laughs> but it just sounds like a great way. You know, a lot of the kids are heading back to school. Some of them will already be back, but a lot of them will be going back shortly after that. What a day trip. You're on the front range. You're within driving range of everybody that listens. And they can they can go up and down, the, go to Mueller, and just take part. And it just sounds like one of those fun days where you can kind of hang out and see all the activities and, and just enjoy yourself. And probably get a – I think you'll get a glimpse of that elk herd. I've been seeing them quite often, several times a week lately, so possibly. All right. Well, Linda, it just sounds like a great time and a great place to be. I want to thank you for joining us, and thanks to Parks and Wildlife for putting on the event at Mueller. Thank you so much. I hope lots of people come and enjoy. I do, too. It just sounds like a great time. Thank you. That's Linda Grote from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I want to touch base again a little bit what we're doing. We are, Karen and I, on our trek through northern Minnesota. We spent the last week in the Lake Winnebogoshish area, in fact, Our next uh, guest, we're going to be talking about the fishing we did. Some very good. Some we had to work pretty hard and some we struggled. We're going to cover that and talk about that area. Meanwhile, today uh, we've moved to the north shore of Lake Superior, just outside of Grand Marais, an area where we stayed here last year in Larson's Lakeview Cabins. We went out fishing here last year and Karen caught some spectacular salmon and lake trout. She likes to show off a lot because... We're both from this area, and she was the flower girl for the the uh, resort owners for the resort owner uh, when she was little. So she takes some special pride in that. We have a lot of stuff coming up today. Um, we're going to talk about gun dogs, training your gun dog, getting it ready, used to shots. We're going to talk about the fishing here in northern Minnesota coming up. Um, we're going to talk about an update on some of the waters in the northeast 
Colorado that are losing their water, and there's some some opportunities that are just going away quickly. In fact, some that are closed that we may have to rebuild. We're going to cover. Brad Peterson is going to join us for that. And then our dog trainer, uh, Ben Garcia, is going to join us. And, of course, J.R. will join us, and we're going to talk some shooting. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on ESPN. When life has got you down and the world is crashing all around, you can always count on me. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Normally we broadcast on 104.3 The Fan, but we're on our sister station ESPN this week. And by the way, that bumper music brought us in is from an EP you can get streaming by Wickstrom and Dobrith. That's our, our four-song EP that's out there. We appreciate if you just search Wickstrom and Dobrith and go listen. We have a new single coming out shortly. But in the meantime, I am trekking through northern Minnesota. I'm broadcasting right now from the shores of Lake Superior. I'm looking at a rock crop. Uh, outcropping right next to my window with a couple seagulls on it and I can see the vast expanse of Lake Superior. We're going to tell you more about that but we just got done spending a week in the Winnemagoshish area and joining us to talk about our fishing one of my lifelong longtime fishing buddies and probably my closest friend in the world other than my wife of course and that's Greg Claggio. Good morning Greg. Good morning Terry. It's uh you know, you and I were fortunate during the last week to fish some of the most famous and some of the best-known warm-water species areas in the world. We had Lake Winnie. We had Little Winnie. We had Red Lake is there, is not very far away. We got Leech Lake is there. Cass Lake is there. Ball Club. Uh, there's just, it goes on and on, doesn't it? Well, it does. Like, Tasta County has over a 1,000 lakes, so we had plenty to pick from. And, you know, where we were staying at the Little Winnie Resort is on a smaller lake, but it's got decent fishing. But from there, you're 10 minutes from some of the most famous famous uh, lakes in the world. Yet, we had some weather conditions when we came in. And you and I have fished these waters for more years than I want to say on the radio because they'll realize we're over 35 years old. And even though at days we caught a bunch of fish, it wasn't always easy this trip, was it? No, you know, the weather, Mother Nature challenged us, and uh, we had to really work for our fish, but we ended up doing pretty good. Well, the first day, we went out on Lake Winnie, the large Winnebogoshish, and tell people kind of what we were doing and how we ended up and what we did there. Well, we went out there. There was a good bite taking place out on the hump, but uh, we didn't realize that there was 20-mile-an-hour winds, <laughs> so that made it kind of tough. So we found uh, went to the leeward side of the lake, and fished way shallower than planned and we pulled spinners and crawlers and we ended up doing really well yeah and as i'll tell you the beginning of that trip both getting out there and the first area we tried to fish the wind was brutal we had to fight the wind but i probably we probably caught most of the fish once we moved to that shallow area and it was probably two three hours we caught 20 some walleyes yeah, we went in with our limit. The three of us, we had 18 fish, so we had a wonderful fish fry back at Little Winnie Resort. And uh, but it was challenging out there. We tried to fish the, the deep, the, the humps out there in the middle of the base, and it was just no way in the world. 
Yeah, and that just shows you that there all are. There's always alternatives in that part of the world of different lakes, different ways to fish, different areas of some of the big lakes to fish. And you know, a lake, uh, I think Winnipegashish is close to seventy thousand acres. Uh, it can get pretty rough. I mean, I'm looking out Lake Superior right now, which is huge. It's not that big, but it gets pretty rough if you don't have the right boat. Fortunately, we had a a good friend and uh, your your son-in-law with us, and he had a good boat, and he knew the area, and we did well. And then the, the next time we went out, we actually decided to go after crappie and bass, and we actually went to a smaller lake, and we did catch a number of nice crappies right away. Yeah, and uh, there's, <laughs> there's so much to pick from. And it was a lake that I had fished, you know, a couple times in the prior weeks, and I was on a good crappie bite right there, and there's some big bluegills and but uh, it was a windy day, and we get out there early, and we're protected, and so it worked out well. And we caught, I don't know, maybe a dozen crappies and some bluegills and really nice fish. In fact, you can find that posted on Greg's Facebook site, and we'll all have him tell you where that is. And, and we did well, but then we decided to slow down a little bit, to sneak over to a lake that you and I traditionally have owned as far as bass fishing, and we got a few fish, but boy, did we work on that lake. Well, we did, and the thing is, I knew going in, if it's overcast, you got a way better chance to catch fish. It's clear, very gin-clear water. We went there in search of bass, and we had a tough time, and I kind of expected that, but seasoned bass fishermen that we are, <laughs> I thought we'd do better than we did. <laughs> but we we pulled a few out of there, and I had one fish on. We caught, and by the way, we caught some pike on that lake too while we were bass fishing. But I had one fish on on that lake that we didn't get to see that probably was the biggest fish of the trip. That that you folded that rod over big time, and I wanted to see. I don't mind losing a fish, but I want to see what it is. So you'll never know. You know, well, yeah, well, you know that I was telling Karen as we were. Um, in the car yesterday, driving up here to Grand Marais, I lost, I think, four major bites on that lake. One one of my knots failed, which is embarrassing. One that I had just pinned on, the one you talked about that had doubled up, and it just came undone. And then a couple really nice bass that I lost. So unusual, I mean, I'm not, I, I usually don't lose bass like that when we're single hook fishing because you get them hooked up well. So it could have been a much better day if I would have stepped up and performed a little bit, probably. <laughs> well, you know, we're just fishermen. We make mistakes once in a while. Yeah. And then um, then we went out the next day after that cold front, cold, windy. The temperature dropped, oh, I don't know, 20, 30 degrees that night. The next day we went out and we got a few fish. But that was our toughest day. And I, 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 you know, a lot of people don't talk about tough days like that, but it happens to everybody. And the conditions were brutal. And that was our toughest day fishing. It was. It was really tough. And we, we stuck it out and uh, battled high winds. And it was really, really tough. It was. And we got a few fish, but certainly nothing to write home about or nothing to get excited about. But then we went back to Little Winnie, where the resort was the last day, and we only did a half a day. We went out in the morning, but we the bite was still tough, but we were able to redeem ourselves and put a bunch of pike in the boat. Yeah, we did, and uh, as luck would have it, you know, we had a cold front the day before. 
the temperature dropped about 25 degrees and it was real windy and it was miserable. We were bundled up the day before. Well, then the last day on Little Winnie, we go out there. It's uh, dead calm, high skies, sunny. So it, it made things even tougher. But uh, we were able to fish. We had boat control. So we did end up with a number of pikes. So that kind of saved the day. And, you know, I, I want to talk about that pike fishing. Pike can save the day up Minnesota, both big and small ones. And I think we got over a dozen in just a few hours we were out. But it wasn't an easy bite. Uh, there were a lot of people around us that weren't catching fish. But we really had to put some lures in some specific depths, especially in relation to the weeds, didn't we? Oh, yeah. And and I think that lake... You know, we had such uh, a couple drought years here, and the water was way down, and the weeds got a good hold. And now they're out deeper than they normally were. I've been fishing that lake for 30 years, and I've never, I was surprised at how much weed growth there is. So that kind of changed our game plan a little bit. So we had a fish on the deep weed line, and uh, we pulled spoons, trolling spoons. I just loved that. That's how I grew up fishing. And uh, that's how we got a lot of fish. We did, and we it was kind of a precision trolling without, but using it just by keeping the spoons above or right next to the weeds. But I think the lesson we want to send people away from about this that part of Minnesota is that the fishing can be phenomenally good. It can be some of the best fishing in the world at some of the best lakes. But no matter what happens with the conditions, there's almost always an alternative there. Oh, yeah. Every lake has its ups and downs, and you've got to be willing to be flexible and move to another body of water or change your presentation, and don't be afraid to make a move and do something different. And I think we want to say thank you again to the Little Winnie Lodge Resort for um, our accommodations and and being able to stay in that area. We We had some country restaurants nearby plus they had a bar with some food we cooked some food in the cabins uh, it was just a great experience and it kept us right in the heart of some of the best fishing in north america it did and i'm already making plans for next year yeah it's going to be a good trip um, and next year better conditions and we'll do a little more bragging <laughs> yeah that'd be nice <laughs> all right my friend thank you as always it's you and I spending time on the water has a lot more than just catching fish that makes it a really great time. It does. Thank you, Terry. All right, Greg. And uh, how do people find your Facebook if they want to see some of the posts? They can just go on Facebook, uh, Greg, and the last name C-L-U-S-I-A-U. And I'll be All there. Right. I'm, I fish All right. out every day. All right. And he's got a lot of posts on what we did this last week. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. All right, that's Greg Clausio, my long, long-time fishing partner. We are broadcasting today from the shores of Lake Superior. Um, Karen and I are making a trek through northern Minnesota. Now our next segment, we're going to take you back to Colorado and update you on fishing conditions in the Colorado area. But I just wanted to, if, you know, the, we just were at the Little Winnie uh, Resort, and we left there. We're up here now on the shore of Lake Superior at the Larson Lakeview Cabins, and we're just outside of Grand Marais. Last year, Karen just tore up the big fish here. She caught salmon and lake trout, and I believe steelhead, too, she caught. So she, she put on a clinic for us last year, and she caught a bunch of fish. We'll see if she can repeat that. But this is a whole different experience. We were fishing warm water species on our, our 
last week, and now it's all cold water species. There's also some major activities. Uh, Larson's Lakeview Cabins is celebrating 90 years since they were established this weekend. And there's a parade in Grand Marais. I think it's their annual fisherman's parade. And Grand Marais is a great city to come and visit Lake Superior. There's always stuff going on. And Larson's Lakeview Cabins is going to have a float in that parade celebrating 90 years. They have five really beautiful rustic cabins, all modern, right on the shore. You can see Lake Superior. We're, I mean, I could virtually take 10 steps out my door, and I'm on the edge of a cliff looking out Lake Superior. It is beautiful here. It's something that if you want to come up in this area, you might want to contact and enjoy. We'll put some Facebook stuff out about this. We're going to take a time out, and we come out back. We're going to talk about some fishing that can be pretty good, but some conditions that are also getting pretty tough in northeast Colorado along with water levels. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN. 